done that many of you don't know is that he is a student of the Psalms. And I've asked him to tell you why in particular he loves the psalm we're looking at today, Psalm 119. And so, Don, if you would hold the microphone right up to your chin and uh, be nice and loud, uh, we would love to hear from you today. Don is one of our elders and has served us faithfully for many years. Well, when, uh, when I learned that, uh, when I learned that uh, Pastor John would be preaching... On Psalm 119, I uh, I really got excited because it's a it's a wonderful psalm. I, I've been making a special study of this psalm lately, and the more I read it, and the more I pray through it, the deeper I find it. In fact, I'm now writing a series of meditations on that psalm. And I'll tell you how I got started on this project. For many years, I've been in the habit of uh, reading the Psalms every day uh, using a scheme that uh, leads me through the whole book of Psalms once a month. Now, Psalm 119 is the longest in the book, 176 verses, and uh, it's so long that it takes three days in the scheme that I'm reading. And I used to have a problem with that. Whenever Psalm 119 came up, I thought, oh gosh, here, here it comes, 176 verses of the same thing, oh how I love God's law. But I knew that this couldn't really be so. God gave us the Psalms to teach us how to communicate with him. So I began digging into this Psalm to find out just what God was teaching me in it. Now, you'll notice in your Bible that Psalm 119 is not only very long, it's also divided into 22 uh, stanzas of eight verses in each stanza, and each stanza is named after a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. That's because in each stanza, the first word of every verse begins with the same letter of the alphabet. Of course, you don't see this when you read the text in English, And since very few of us here can read Hebrew, uh, this fact is usually lost on us. But I began to wonder just what the original author of this psalm had in mind when he chose those very, those specific words to begin each verse in each stanza. And as I studied these words that he chose, I began to see a pattern in this psalm, how each stanza brings out a new truth about God's word and about how we can relate to God through his word. And I don't really have time to uh, go into all the things I learned, but I can tell you one or two things that I found out while making this study. And uh, the first one is that if you, if you look at the psalm, you'll notice that the very first word in the psalm is blessed. In fact, it begins with the verse, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Now, this word blessed also means happy or joyful. 
And so this tells us that the whole psalm is about how to be blessed, about the happiness of a life lived in communion with God. And so I've been praying through this psalm, asking God how to lead me into that blessed life. And then if you go down just a couple of verses, you'll notice that verse 4 begins with the word you. That's addressed to God. And this tells us, first of all, that the true source of the blessed life is God. It's not my own effort. It's not my ability to communicate with God. It's his action in communicating with me through his word. It's not just me calling out to God. It's God reaching out to me. And then from verse 4 on to the end of the psalm, right up to verse 176, the whole psalm is a conversation between me and God. You'll notice that just about every verse, I think, I, I think there are only about, there's only about one or two exceptions, just about every verse contains a first-person pronoun, I or me or my, and a second-person pronoun, you or your, or a request in which you is understood. And so this makes the psalm an extended conversational prayer to God. So as I pray through this psalm, I'm carrying on an intimate, trusting conversation with my Heavenly Father. And since the psalm is based on the Hebrew alphabet, the author is saying something like, this covers my whole lifelong experience from A to Z. And you know, I find that all my own hopes and my fears and my deepest desires are expressed right here as I pray this psalm. Martin Luther once said that the book of Psalms is the Bible in brief. Everything in the Bible can be found somewhere in the Psalms. But I've begun to think that Psalm 119 is the book of Psalms in brief that it concentrates all the prayers of the Psalms in its 22 stanzas. And so as I continue to study and meditate on this long psalm, I find that I'm, I'm learning how to find the blessed life by communing with God through his word. Beautiful, beautiful. Don hasn't stopped learning, and neither should you, and neither should I. Our whole life is a celebration of growing in our relationship with the Lord. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Psalm 119. And I am only going to preach on three of those verses. Only three of the 176, starting in verse 9. They are printed on the back of your sermon outline in your program. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. 
I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So far the reading of the word of God. There's a lot of medicine on the market today for your heart. Statin drugs, certain anti-plaque medications, and uh, there is one commercial on television that I find so amusing. It is a man walking through the park with a hospital bed behind him and a, and a drip ready to go wherever he goes. And the, and the ad goes something like this. It says that once you've had your first heart attack, the incidence of a second heart attack skyrockets, and you're at a greater risk for that second heart attack And so, the makers of the drugs say, if you take our product, you can reduce that uh, chance of having the second heart attack. And there's all kinds of medicines made for your physical heart to keep the plaque from building up inside. Wouldn't it be great if there was some sort of medicine prescribed for your spiritual heart? the psalm writer is talking about when he says, my heart. What is that? He's not talking about the muscle underneath your sternum. But the heart in the Bible is that center of your personality. It is that, that mixing of the mind and the will and the emotions that make you, you. Your intellect, your volition, Your feelings, all wrapped and sewn together. That's your heart. And I have some good news for you today. From Psalm 119, in that second stanza, verses 9 through 11, there is a prescription that can prevent sinful plaque from building up in your heart. And it's discovered by the writer today and laid out for us how you can keep your heart pure. Now, we have learned in our study of the Psalms that many of the Psalms are just holy eavesdropping on a spirit-filled, sanctified heart that's communing with God. And Don told us so beautifully, it is the I-thou relationship. Uh, You and me, Lord. And so we're eavesdropping. We're not exactly sure whether David wrote this or some other uh, Hebrew writer wrote this, but we're eavesdropping in verse 9, in verse 10, verse 11. And we are learning how to interact with God. So let's just listen to verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? And we see that the Bible is a book for young people and for the young at heart, for those who are in that stage of their life where they are learning, and for those like Don Cameron who continue to learn well into their 80s. But the Bible is a book for young people. It's not over their heads. We don't dumb it down for our young people. We give them the Word of God. And I have really enjoyed working with the youth group this fall, along with 
Josiah and Josh Rosero, and, and together, it has been such a privilege for me to be with the teenagers in middle school and senior high and to see them wrestle with the issues of life that cross before them. Do you remember when you were a teenager? Do you remember what it was like? You knew everything. You were confident. You were headstrong. You weren't always that wise. How does the old Pennsylvania Dutch proverb go? It's too bad youth is wasted on the young. But God knew what he was doing. And so there is an inspired question here that came to the heart of a Christian young man, but it's true for a young woman as well. How can a young person keep his path pure, his way pure? It's very interesting. This word, keep his way pure, I translated it path, but it's the same word that is used when a cart goes down the path and it makes ruts in the road. It's the well-worn path. And what we learn here is that young people, even in their teenage years, are setting up habits of life, patterns of thinking that they're going to, that's going to become a rut for them for the rest of their life. Or we should say a well-worn path. Rut may sound negative. But you see, the dangerous thing is when your cart jumps the track and falls over, and he's saying, how can I keep my path pure, my way straight? How do I do that? And it is a question every young person should be asking of God. It's a beautiful thing. Seek God. Talk to God. God, which way should I go? Show me your ways. We just learned that new song. Show me your ways that I may walk with you. I love that song. We're going to sing it more in our study of the Psalms. Ask for direction. And if you ask for it, he then answers it. How do you keep your way pure? And this young person says to the Lord, by living according to your word. God will be my guide. God's word will be my guide. Last week, Martin preached such a beautiful sermon to us, very powerful. In the, in the first five weeks of our study of the Psalms, we took Psalms of refuge, and we just talked about how God is our refuge. But now, these past few weeks, we've been talking about how God is our guide. And Martin told us that the great thing about the living and true God is that he's a God who is self-revealing. He reveals himself to us. And Psalm 19 showed us first God has clearly, unmistakably revealed himself to you in his creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. Every leaf, every crashing wave, every mountain peak, every fish swimming in the sea shouts, God is glorious, God is wise, God is great. But then the second half of Psalm 19 is not about what we call general revelation. But it is about special revelation. It's about God's written word. The inscripturation of God's redemptive dealings with man. And all scripture is God-breathed for our instruction. And so it's so wonderful. And that revelation reaches its pinnacle. Then in the coming of Jesus Christ, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So our God is a self-revealing God. 
and we meet him in his word. One um, wonderful writer about the Psalms, he said this, I love this, the scriptures teach us the best way of living, the noblest way of suffering, and the most blessed way of dying. Isn't that interesting? At the end of his life, he said, this is what I've learned by studying the scriptures. The scriptures teach us the best way of living, the noblest way of suffering, because you will have tribulation, Jesus said, in this world, and the most blessed way of dying, so that at the end of your life, when it is time for your last breath, you can die well. So we've listened. We've eavesdropped on this young man. He doesn't know we're listening to him. And he says to God, how can I keep my way pure? By living according to your word. Now let's listen to verse 10 and hear what he says. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. And here is this beautiful statement, a confession of faith. I seek you with all my heart, not just on Sundays. And see, this is where some of us may get confused. Yes, Sunday I do the church thing. I do the God thing on Sunday. But then it's Monday. Oh. And where is God on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? No. I seek you with all my heart. And the word here is, is a picture of wholeness. If you take a math class, any of you taking arithmetic or algebra, and you distinguish between fractions and integers. What's a fraction? A fraction is a part of a number. What is an integer? Does anybody know? It's a whole number. It is a complete number, a whole number. And that's what he's saying here. I'm not giving you a fraction of my heart, Lord. I'm giving you my whole heart. This is a very wise confession, and it is a confession we do well to make also, to turn to God and say, Lord, all that I know myself to be, I lay it before you. In the, in the senior high Sunday school class today, we talked about J.C. Penney, who started the great uh, 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 chain of stores. And every day, J.C. Penney would drop to his knees after he got out of bed, and he would simply pray, Heavenly Father, I give you my eyes, I give you my ears, I give you my tongue. I give you my wallet, I give you my feet, I give you my mind. Take it and use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. It's not a bad prayer, is it? Maybe you might start your day the same way, day after day and through the day. Lord, I seek you with my whole heart. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know how it goes. Trust in the Lord with half your heart. Oh, I got that wrong, didn't I? How does it go? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path. There's that word again, you see? He will make your path straight, your way straight. And then the second half of the verse sort of gives me whiplash. Now, wait a minute. He just made this wonderful confession of faith. With my whole heart I seek you. And then look at the second half. Do not let me stray from your commands. 
That's sort of shocking. Why, I thought you loved God with your whole heart. But you see, the writer of the Psalms is a Calvinist. <laughs> Maybe many of you don't know what a Calvinist, but, but it's a, it's a, it is part of our theological tradition. We Presbyterians have learned to take very seriously the call to be suspicious of our own hearts. And even after he says, I seek you with all my heart, he immediately knows two things. Number one, I should be suspicious of my heart because my heart is like the dog out near the trash cans. And, and I'm going where I oughtn't go. And he is also learning to dread sin and the danger of sin in his life. And so even as he confesses that he is aware of the doctrine of total depravity, that the doctrine of depravity just says, stop flattering yourself that you're so holy, because by the way, you will wander. How does the hymn go? Remember the line? Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. This isn't just you. This is pastor. This is elder. This is deacon. This is Sunday school teacher. And so, he, he is so humble. And he says, do not let me stray from your commands. It is, a, it is a serious mistake to say, now that I'm a Christian, and I've attended a few Sunday school classes and went through the membership orientation, and I'm involved in doing a ministry, why, congratulations to me, I'm just doing so well because I have my routine, you know I do have my quiet time every day, and I sit in the second row from the back every Sunday, and you be careful. Do not trust yourself to stay on the path. What he does is he models for us. He cries out. He says, Lord, don't let me stray. Don't let me stray. Lord. This is really a beautiful verse. Verse 10. I seek you. And here's the picture. Seeking God. Do you seek God? If someone were to describe you, would they say about you, you know, that guy is always chasing after God. That woman is always seeking God. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing if someone said that about you? That's what... That's the picture for us, because that's the way Jesus lived in his own humanity. He was always seeking fellowship with his heavenly Father. And that's the way we are to be, like J.C. Penney did in the morning, you see. Seeking after God, but not trusting in yourself to get there. And then we do some holy eavesdropping on verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And there it is. This marvelous uh, picture of how he responds to meeting with God, his fear of his wandering, and his now his willingness to do, to do God's remedy, to take that medicine, uh, not a statin drug, a spiritual plaque killer you see, to keep himself from falling into sin and wandering away. And here's what he says, I have hidden 
your word in my heart. And it, as, it is as though he has a jewelry box or he has a treasure chest. Do any of you have a safe in your home? A safe where you know the combination and you open the door and you put your valuables in there and you lock it up? Do any of you have a jewelry box where your, your favorite necklace or rings are kept? Sure you do. And he is saying here that his heart, your heart, is like that treasure chest. And there is something to hide there. Because it's so valuable, you want to keep it there. And what is it that he puts in the treasure chest? God's word. God's promises. And one commentator says this. He says, The best thing, thy word hidden in the best place in my heart for the best of purposes that I might not sin against you. Let me give that to you again. Here's what what the psalm writer is saying. The best thing, thy word, hidden in the best place, my heart, for the best of purposes that I might not sin against thee. And Jesus picked up on this in Luke, 24, Luke 12, 14, where Jesus says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What do you put in the treasure chest of your heart? He tells us here, God's word, God's promises. At our men's group this Wednesday down in Manhattan, at our Manhattan Fellowship group, we were talking about how important it is to... Um, for ourselves to teach also our young men and women to lay up God's word in the treasure chest of their heart. And one of the dads said this. He said, and I try and be a father, what I like to try and do is to teach my kids 1 Thessalonians 5.15. What's 1 Thessalonians 5.15? It says, Do not repay evil for evil, but be kind to one another. He says... If my children would learn what I hope I can learn, if they would learn that when one comes along and socks the other one, that the other one is immediately tempted to turn around and what? Sock the other one back. And then pretty soon it escalates. And what do you know? Soon it's World War III. But he said, I've learned from my own experience that... Between stimulus and response, there is a moment. There is a pause. Between cause and effect, there is a moment. There is a pause. And it's right there at that pause, if 1 Thessalonians 5.14 came in, that instead of responding with evil for evil, the verse would come to mind... And the other person would not say, whap, back, but instead would say, wait a minute. Instead of World War III, let's try and work something out here. And even better, how about a hug? It's really true, you know. Dad comes in, he hit me, he hit me, he hit me, he hit me. I had to hit him back. Did you have to hit him back? No, you didn't have to, but you did choose to. 
right in that moment. And if in the treasure chest of your heart is 1 Thessalonians 5.14 or some other word, maybe, maybe God will get glory in the middle of this conflict and it will be resolved in some other fashion. You see that? Jesus prayed. John 17, 17. He said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You know, Jesus prayed that for you. Jesus Christ prayed for you. John 17, 17. And he said, sanctify them. Grow them in holiness in your truth. Your word is truth. And Jesus lived that way. Do you remember when the devil got a hold of Jesus after he fasted for 40 days, took him in, and he's out in the desert, and, and the devil says to him, you're starving, you're hungry, 40 days without food, take these stones and turn them into bread. Mmm, fresh, delicious bread. And then he lifts him up on a high mountain and he shows him, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world, New York City, Manhattan, skyline, and all the banks and Wall Street. And he says, it can all be yours if you'll just bow down for a moment and worship me. It's yours, Jesus. And then Satan says, so you say you're the son of God if you're the son of God. Throw yourself down from the temple. Because God promised in his word, he'll send his angels and they'll bear you up. Go ahead, Jesus, I dare you. Do you remember in that moment how Jesus responded all three times? What were the first words out of his mouth? It is written. Did you know that? Don't pass over that too quickly. It is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It is written, Mr. Satan, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test, and I won't. When Eve was in the garden and the snake came up to her, all she had to say, all she had to say was this. I don't understand, Satan, but God did say I should not eat of this, so no thank you. Adam fell. Jesus stood. And now you, you too, will stand with him. You stand in him In his humanity, Jesus loved God's word. He loved his Father's word. And so Jeremiah 15, 16, it says, Your words were found, and I ate them, and they became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. You see, he eats God's word. What about you? What scriptures have you hidden in your heart? That's really my question here. Some of us like to memorize Scripture. We have little Scripture memory cards. I can get you some if you would like them. I just suggest you write them out on three-by-five cards in your own handwriting, keep them in your pocket, and just recite them as you go 
on your way to work or as you get a break at lunch, but you take time. If anybody wants scripture memory cards, I will pay for them. I will get them to you. If you don't want to make your own, that's fine with me. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Do you know that verse? Listen, you will need it. You will need these verses. I read two weeks ago a story I'd never heard. I don't know why I never heard this. But 16 years ago, there was a horrible traffic accident in the Midwest with a family named Willis. And a truck uh, flew out of control on Interstate 94. And the, uh, what it was carrying fell off and crushed a car, killing six children. The car exploded The parents in the front seats were badly burned. The ambulance came. They were utterly distraught. The wife's hands were terribly burned, and they were carrying her on a cart into an ambulance. And the husband's face and front of his body was terribly burned, and they were carrying him to another ambulance. And the husband called out to his wife, Psalm 34, 1. Three weeks ago, we studied Psalm 34. And the wife, in agony and through her tears, cries out, I will bless the Lord at all times. His name shall continually be on my lips. Can you imagine? And when I read this story, I said, No more half hearted. Devotion to the Lord. No more dogging it in practice. When the coach says, go, I'll go. I will bless the Lord at all times. Surely not now, Lord. Even now, his praise will continually be on my lips. And I learned... That woman and her husband, to this day, 17 years later, still stand in front of audiences all over the world. They tell their story, how they have laid up God's word in their heart that they might not sin against him. They would not even sin against them in that moment. What about you? Some of us haven't even thought about keeping our way pure. And this is a day for you to do that. Some of us perhaps have been half-hearted, not wholehearted, half-hearted in our interest in God. Is today the day that you will say, Lord, with my whole heart, I want to seek you. Some of us have been congratulating ourselves. And so this is the day to be perhaps suspicious of your own heart a little bit more. And cry out, God, God, keep me from straying from your paths. Some of us perhaps have not been laying up his word in our hearts. Well, I'm going to invite him to do business with you now. In one or all of these things, I want him to do business with me right now. I want him to purify my heart. 
and to make it like gold, pure gold, refined by his fire. So let's bow our heads together right now. Let's come to prayer, shall we? Lord, right now, I know you're, you're going to eavesdrop, Lord, on my prayer. In one of these ways, Lord, I know you want to encourage me. And so, in the quietness of your own heart right now, would you just tell God what you need spiritually, how you want to grow and be consecrated to him today?